0: You're listening to Cloudies with a Chance of Scripture. Uh, The world's been flooded. That's where we ended. Uh, The flood's now over, and the world is starting to be repopulated with the descendants of Noah and his family. Uh, And as it is populated, we come across the names of people, but then we also come across the names eventually of just like the uh, uh, people groups. So like if we were to skip to Genesis ten 15, we'd see Canaan fathered Sidon and his firstborn in Heth. But then we get ites added to the ends of things here. Nations, you know, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvidites, Semerites, uh, Hammerites. <laughs> like the list just goes on and on. Suddenly we've got, we've got nations. Now, Here's what's important, okay, geography is important and it's different depending on where you live. for example, right? Uh, I'm in uh, America and therefore uh, in the United States, a number that sticks out to me as an American is 50, right? because I think of 50 states within my country. Each one is divided and different, but they're also united and in in geography and as one nation things like that so uh you have different numbers depending on where you live right Uh, or we could think more broadly we could divide it into continents or countries whatever or cities you know like just different numbers even in my even in my city uh, my specific city has different wards of the city so like you cross over lines and you know like ah yeah what ward are you a part of and the you just have numbers. Numbers equate to geography. Now, we don't find throughout Genesis uh, 10 the number 70 come up, but if we were to count up how many nations have come to light here in Genesis 10, we come to to the number 70, which means, you know, in ancient thinking, they're thinking this is the global world. They don't know about, they don't even know the world is uh, a globe, right? They think it's flat. So like, as far as the known world that they know, the nations that exist, there's 70 of them, 70 nations. It's a big number. That number for them represents like all of the world, represents all the nations, uh, all the community. And therefore, we're going to see the number 70 pop up throughout the Bible, uh, throughout, And one of the places that, uh, well, okay, so we need to start thinking in supernatural terms here, okay? Because one of the places, if we were to move forward into Genesis 32, uh, we come across the uh, concept that God, when he divided the nations, when he made, you know, when when the nations get divided in what we just saw in Genesis 10, when he divided those nations, uh, referring to the Tower of Babel incident, because God divides them by tongues, Um, again, when he divides those nations, the Bible says he turns over the nations to the sons of God. The sons of God are real beings in the Bible. They are spiritual beings. They are upper level spiritual beings. And uh, they are um, what makes people uncomfortable is really they would be the little G gods in the Bible. The Bible's clear that like when you worship an idol or a little g-god, you're not just worshiping nothing. You are worshiping something. But again, this this makes us uncomfortable today because we're monotheists. We believe that there is only one God, and that is absolutely biblical. That is absolutely the truth. And I know I harp on this, but I don't want people to hear me saying heresy. There is only one God. He is the creator of all. Everything spiritual exists because he made it. Everything physical exists because he made it. Nothing in this world is like Yahweh. He is the one God. However, when he made the spiritual realm, he made spiritual beings, and he granted some of those spiritual beings power, as we see in Deuteronomy 32. And so the sons of God, these spiritual beings, he grants power to have authority over the nations. So he divides the nations up into 70 nations, as we just saw in Genesis 10. And then in Deuteronomy 32, he gives them power as a reference back to when he divided the nations by the Tower of Babel. Okay, sorry, I'm jumping everywhere. I hope you're tracking with this. Um, So with that being said, we're now thinking not only of 70 nations, but we're thinking of uh, a divine council of sorts that God has created, where there are 70 little g-gods, not like God, but spiritual beings with authority, just as you would define a little g-god, right? Um, These little g-gods are reigning over these 70 nations. Does that mean that there's only 70 spiritual beings out there called the sons of God? Not necessarily. Again, remember, they're thinking in global terms. 70 means like all of the world, all the nations. But either way, it was in their mind that they're thinking that um, every nation has their own little G-God, except for Israel, which is God's inheritance, Yahweh's inheritance. Israel belongs entirely and completely to Yahweh. But here's the thing, someday Yahweh is going to bring back the nations. So he disinherits them at Babel, but down the road, he's going to inherit them back, right? Uh, the 70 nations will not remain outside of his grasp because the the first guy that God takes up as his own inheritance, the first guy of Israel is who? It's Abraham. And what does God promise Abraham? I'm going to use you to bless all of the nations, In other words, it's telegraphing what's going to happen through Jesus much further down the road, right? The 70 nations may have been disinherited and turned over to to the false gods, to the little G-gods, to the other spiritual beings who are not Yahweh. They may have been turned over as a punishment, probably, for, you know, uh, not following him. So they get stuck with lesser beings, um, who eventually, these lesser beings become corrupt. We don't know if they were corrupt at the beginning, but Psalm 82 tells us that they at least were corrupt, uh, by the time Psalm 82 comes around. Uh, and so God is going to, um, judge those little G gods. He's going to judge, uh, the nations, but he's also going to use Abraham and his line to bless the nations and eventually to re-inherit all the nations. Now, the number 70 is going to come up a few more times throughout the Bible. Um, And I'd love to talk more about the re-inheritance of the nations. I'm going to do that today a little bit, but I don't want to get into how Babel fits into that yet. We're going to save that for next week. Um, So today, let's just focus on the number 70. Now, if we were to fast forward, 70 is going to show up again within Israel, God's people, okay? So be thinking, if you have 70 nations and you have 70 little G gods reigning over them, then it should be of special interest— that uh, when when, uh, when, <laughs> when Moses decides that he needs more help uh, to, to run all of Israel, he goes and he makes 70 elders, okay? So if we were to fast forward into Numbers 11, 11-16, uh, we would find, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. Now I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Now, this is really interesting. Seventy, right? Seventy is what's shown up. Now we're already thinking in supernatural terms. Uh, we're envisioning in, in Psalm 82, when God stands before the divine council and calls all the corrupt gods before him, that here's God with seventy uh, the 70 little g-gods of the nation standing before him, and he's pronouncing judgment on them. Now, what you find a lot of times throughout the Bible is that uh, um, what is thought to be going on in heaven, that there's almost like a shadow of it on the earth. In fact, I think Hebrews uses the word shadow when it's talking about the tabernacle, that the tabernacle is like a shadow of, of the real thing. Uh, I, you, know, you almost get this sense um, with, uh, with this passage of Moses having these 70 elders who have the, the Holy Spirit upon them, And I write a little bit about that uh, story in my book, The Rush and the Rest, but that goes another direction, so we're not going to go there right now. But uh, here in in this passage, we have kind of like a a shadow of what's going on in the heavenlies. uh, uh, Seventy divine beings ruling the nations up there, and now God bringing 70 elders to rule over his one nation, almost as though, like, maybe this isn't even just a shadow, but a replacement of of these 70 corrupt gods who are going to to fall. And I know that sounds crazy, Jamin, a replacement. Well, are you crazy? These are human beings. A replacement of, of the little G gods? Well, yeah, because when you get to the New Testament, man, Christians are are no little deal in in Paul's theology. He says they're going to judge angels. You know, like, they're going to make judgment calls. They're going to make decisions. How do you judge angels? Angels who are spiritual beings. How do humans end up doing that? Well, Revelation goes on to tell us that we're going to share in, in Jesus's... He'll share the throne with us, that we're going to make decisions. I mean... When you look at the way that Christians are described throughout the New Testament, you start to realize we're like the replacement plan for the, the corrupt beings of heaven, that they will be cast out into the lake of fire, but Christians will be taken into heaven and take on roles that they had before to rule with authority and to make judgment calls so, yeah, when you start to see the 70 human beings being uh, hit with the Holy Spirit in in Moses's time, suddenly you're like, there's more being telegraphed here about something that's coming down the road. In fact, you see it telegraphed in another way, too, because if we were to go to Exodus, we see these 70 elders actually end up uh, on the mountain uh, where where God is. So be thinking of that experience where Moses goes up on the mountain sees God's face, things like that, right? Exodus uh, 24, 9 then has the 70 elders do something similar. They don't seem to go quite as far as Moses does, but we do have in, in this verse, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet as if it were a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. He did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. And then from there you have Moses go further, further up. But here you have the 70 elders see God. So they're in his presence, you know, just like the uh 70 uh divine beings the 70 little g gods are and they're right there with god and here you have the 70 elders right here with god from a physical perspective instead of a spiritual world perspective so that being said you know it's telegraphing themes of of replacement of divine counsel of human beings Entering into that that same place, so we could go into further on this, uh, but again, I'm trying really hard to keep my head focused on on the number seventy. Uh, so one of the other ways we're going to see this pop up though is uh, very interesting, especially it's especially important to thinking of mission work. Okay, when we get to Luke ten, so now we're in the New Testament with Jesus. When we get to Luke 10, Jesus gets ready to do ministry, and the number 70 comes up again. It says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now, uh, right there, I said 72. So, that's part of the reason, actually, we don't even realize the importance of this passage is because some of our Bibles, in this case the ESV, uses the number 72 because uh, that's one of the options of interpretation. However, we also have other manuscripts that use uh, the word 70 instead. Now, this really isn't important about which way you're going to translate it because what we actually find is that uh, the Greek Bible that the Jews had, if they were to go back to Genesis 10, where we just were, and they were to count up the the nations in their translation in this Greek Bible, guess what they would come up with? Well, 72 nations. So it's it's a translation thing here. Hebrew gets translated into Greek. And when that happens, two nations get added into the final count. So really, you know, it's not so much what's important about the number, whether it's 72 or 70, because in the end, it's telegraphing the same exact theological point. Here Jesus is, and he chooses 70 disciples, just like there are nations, just like there are false beings, and he sends them out to go and do ministry. Now, what's really cool is when they return in uh, Luke 10 17, it says this. This right here should blow our mind because when Luke is writing his gospel, he is, he is telegraphing the 70 uh, nations. You know, he's telegraphing the spiritual powers at work in the 70 nations, right? Because he sends out 70 to go and do ministry. And when they come back, they're like spiritual beings are obeying us. They have to listen to us. They're doing what we say. And how does Jesus respond? He's seeing Satan fall like lightning. He's seeing Satan be be humbled, falling to the lowest place, falling out of the heavens. He's being dethroned, if you will. Everything's falling apart for him. In other words, as these Christians go out to do ministry, it's destroying the work of the spiritual powers. It's destroying their kingdom and the kingdom of heaven is being installed in its place. All right. Now, all that being said, look, I didn't, I didn't really plan on getting into Babel this week, but given where this is going, I think we're just going to make our way into it. Because what we're going to start seeing telegraphed now through this statement is that Jesus is doing what was promised to Abraham, right? To Abraham, he was saying, uh, God said, one day I'm going to bless all the nations through you. And now... Jesus has his own 70, and they're being sent out to the nations. And one of the ways in which you can see that he's, you know, partially talking about reaching out to the nations is because some of the teaching he gives throughout Luke 10 is is all about uh, him going to to the Jews and talking about how many of them are not going to accept him and that they're actually going to be in worse shape when judgment comes uh, they're going to be in worse shape than some of the other uh, nations that were judged back in the Old Testament. So you can see like this, this uh, sending into the nations to go reach people. And that becomes part of the story that we're going to see between Babel and another New Testament story, right? So if we were to leave Genesis 10 and go into the story of Babel, uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But, you know, the general story of Babel is... These people build uh, a temple. The nation's all one place, right? And they start building a temple. uh, And it's kind of against God's wishes. Maybe we'll have another episode next week to really talk about what this temple is. Um, But sorry about what this tower is, though I may have just given some stuff away there. (laughs) Um, But one of the things that God told them was, you know, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They're not filling the earth. They're stuck in one place. They're building a, a tower to make a name for themselves, right? And that's why they get divided up. After everything that's happened, they are still not listening to God. And so he turns them over to the little G gods while he takes Abraham as his inheritance, and all of Abraham's descendants, which will eventually lead to Jesus, who will eventually bless all the nations and extend it out to all the nations to be saved. Now, how did God divide the nations? You remember Tower of Babel? He divided them by their languages. So, every nation is thought to have its own language. They're, They're their ability to speak to each other is broken, and therefore they have to separate out. This makes sense of everything going on at Pentecost and why we see mission in in the the very number of 70, right? Because at Pentecost, God gives them back the languages, the disinheritance that happened back at the Tower of Babel, has been reversed in Pentecost. God is giving the uh, nations—God is giving the Christians all of the nations' languages, and then the rest of the story of Acts right after that— is him showing them, now you have to go save all the nations. You have to tell them about Jesus. You have to offer them the same thing that I've offered you. The great reversal has now come. The fulfillment of Abraham's promise is on its way. Everyone is baptized with the Holy Spirit to now go do ministry to all of the nations. It doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor, what ethnicity you are, what culture you live in for now on the the story is going to be God inheriting back the nations and that right now is is the story that we still live in right the tongues have been given back and every time that you hear someone in a in a church speaking in tongues which i believe is a gift today i've seen it practiced and uh, and every time it happens like that's part of what should be going through your head that gift right there that you're hearing practice You know, Paul saw it had use to your personal life, but didn't really see it having a lot of use inside of a church service unless someone could interpret the tongue, which seemed to imply that usually people really couldn't interpret the tongue, Um, which means that when we practice that spiritual gift to some extent, we're just reminding ourselves, why do we have this gift? That's the importance of what it means, Go to the nations, reach the nations, speak their languages. They were divided by language at one point, but now they are brought back together by language through these Christians, through these mediators, through these powerful people who will one day uh, take the, th- the, the, the throne room and replace the fallen entities that have been cast out of heaven. And these Christians will make decisions they'll make judgment calls, they will rule with authority, just like the spiritual beings whom they have replaced. And so, right there, uh, God is saying, like, you you are now the real children of God, right? We, We talk about that all the time, that we're adopted into God's family. Well, God's supernatural family was these sons of God. Now, the New Testament's telling us, you uh, human beings, when you come to God, you become the children of God, therefore that comes with its fair share of of uh of ruling with him. so with that being said, uh, we now live in the time where we have to reach out <laughs> because god God's still waiting. Peter tells us that he's he's just he wants more to be saved he wants more to come to know who he is. And so we're left in this this in-between state, between the already and not yet. Heaven's already here, but it's not yet in full. We're left in this state to continue to evangelize because God wants his family to be bigger. He wants it to grow. It's part of his love. He wants to have more, and he's not going to stop until he has more. And so anytime you hear tongues spoken in, you need to remember this is the grand call, the, the spiritual gift of evangelism embodied in a language. Remember to get out there and, and show people who God is. So, yeah, the Tower of Babel, the Seventy Nations, both of these themes get wrapped up in the Gospels to be important themes about outreach, important metaphors and stories about God reaching out to the nations outside of Israel. Yes, Israel was his inheritance, but he has fulfilled his promise to Abraham to use his nation to bless many. So, if Christians are doing what they should be doing, then they should be out there saving all different kinds of people, uh, not being fearful of of the person next door who doesn't look like you or talk like you or live like you, but remembering that God has deposited into you the ability to reach them, the hope that you would try and see if they would come around. So, all that being said, <laughs> you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, you know, the Old Testament is just so much about Israel and makes you feel like God doesn't care about the nations and all that. And yet, here we are in verse uh, chapter 10, right? And when we take the entire Bible into context, we see the whole Bible calling back to chapter 10 and 11 saying, I'm coming back for them. I'm going to reach them. I haven't forgot about them. In fact, they're the long game. I am aiming to come back for them. So there's there's your little tidbit today. Uh, next week, we'll get into Babel just a little. Well, we'll get into Babel a lot of bit. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk a uh, about the details, because a lot of people, and maybe you could think about it right now, is this what you have in your mind? Just a building that keeps circling higher and higher, like a giant round staircase until it's up in the heavens? Because <laughs> that's the pictures that I always see online, and therefore growing up, that's how I always imagine Babel. And in our defense, the way it's described, that's what we would think of, right? Well, when we start to do uh, ancient research and archaeology, we realize that that's not what Uh, exactly what's going on here.